This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Question I've got for you, you started your playing career at Birmingham City, having spent some time at Aston Villa as a youngster. One of your managers, of course, was Sir Alf Ramsey. What was Birmingham like as a whole, and what was Sir Alf like to work with as well? Well, I only was at Villa as a, a, a young player, because Villa had this kind of Sunday team, so I was always a Birmingham City supporter. And when I left school at 16, I joined Birmingham. I could walk from my house to the training ground, so it was very much my club. Things didn't go great there, mate. I got in the first team really early. I was England Youth International. But playing for your hometown club, you know, a prophet's always hated in his own uh, land. It's in the Bible, I think. And I think there's an element to that. And playing in front of my family, cousins, neighbours, teachers, you know, school friends, I found it a little bit too much. So I got in the team young in the in the top division. And uh, it was interesting that Sir Alf Ramsey came to the club and he persevered with me, to be fair. But I think finally he realised I wasn't going to be the next Bobby Moore. And uh, it, unfortunately, by this time, he moved on. It was a shame for him in a way because he didn't really want to be the manager. Uh, he was like a kind of director. And then he took over a couple of games. The team did really well. Uh, and then it went the other way and eventually he kind of left the club. So it, it ended not great. My uh, memories of Sir Alf uh, very much are that he was uh, obviously at legendary status, quite aloof uh, with his management style, and he had, of course, those perfect clipped uh, quintessentially English tones, didn't he? So, uh, you know what, it's so long ago as well. But I'll tell you something really incredible, Cal. I'm sat here now, and I'm looking at a picture on the wall in this sports bar. There's a picture of Jackie Charter. There's a picture of Bobby Moore. There's a picture of Sir Alf Ramsey. So what about that for an absolute coincidence? I'm literally looking at a picture of Sir Alf Ramsey now. <laughs> I had a run-in with... I don't know if you know this story, Cal. I had a run-in with Sir Alf, right? I was on the end of what must be the most brutally effective and horrific practical joke of all time. So, Sir Alfred left me out of the team. I was playing terribly, and it was a massive, massive relief that I was finally out of the firing line. I could not have been any happier. I was only probably 18 years of age, not playing well. Anyway, a few of the senior players at Birmingham City, they were saying to me, I wouldn't put up with that. And I was saying, you know what, I'm talking about lots of Howard Kendall, Trevor Francis, Kenny Burns, Peter With, wouldn't put up with that. I said, oh no, come on guys, you know, I, I'm not playing well, I think it's fair. And they were like, you know what, Nick, don't stand for this, otherwise you'll be walked on all your life. You need to sort this out. And I was like, well, what do you mean? They were like, well, you need to get in your car now and you need to drive from the training ground down to St. Andrews and you need to go and tell him straight. I was like, well, what? tell him what? Like, tell him what? And they were all like, you need to tell him you want to move. Tell him you want to transfer. You're not going to be treated like this to be just dropped out of the team. And I was like, well, oh, I'm not playing well. And I'm actually quite with no, do it or you'll be walked on all your life. So I thought, well, they must know, mustn't they? They're senior players. like So <laughs> I got in my little clapped out daft variomatic car and I drove the six miles down to St Andrews. 
on our way to the outside his office. I could see through his window he was there and he was sat reading a massive newspaper. I guess it was uh, broadsheets they're called, aren't they? Like, you know, anyway, I thought, well, the lads must know what they're saying, so I'm doing it. So I knocked on the door and I'll never forget this till the day I die. He said, come, not, not come in, come. So I went in there like, and he folded up the paper and he looked at me, he had a waistcoat on, you know, collar and tie in those days, of course, Sir Ralph. And he said, um, okay, what, what, what can I do for you? I said, right. I said, um, you dropped me, it's no good. I'm not having it. I'm not going to be treated like that. Uh, I want to leave. I want to transfer. I don't want to play for this club again. He folded the paper under his arm, leaned forward in, in those impeccable tones and a voice that cut through me. He said, uh, okay, fair enough. You can go by all means. But who's going to sign you? You're fucking crap. <laughs> and that was it. And Cal, it's in my first book, that story. Talk about in like a lion, out like a lamb. But that has got to be the cruelest, cruelest practical joke anybody's ever played on a young player at a club. So those are my memories of Sir Alf. <laughs> and in terms of um, that move, you, you moved to Blackburn Rovers. You're there for, for nearly a mate, decade. Playing. Mate, I, I, I didn't want to play anymore. I'd had enough. I, I, my confidence was shot. I was terrified to play at Birmingham, those killing fields, all the fans who booed me and that. I, was, I played shit though, so I'm not complaining, but I'd gone, I didn't want to play. I was only 19, 18, 19. I remember one day we had a, we had a game at Bolton, we drew two all, Trevor Francis scored both our goals, I played shit, right? And we had a meeting on the Monday with Jim Smith, our ferocious manager, <laughs> and he said, right, we, we were playing Man U the following Saturday, and um, it was really interesting because the, man, the, the skipper in them days was Joe Gallagher. Great guy. We love Joe. Joe's a great guy. Joe's one of us. And Jim Smith goes, right, Joe's going to say a few words. So Joe gets up and Joe rips into the young players. He says to me, he goes, Mickey Rathbone, he goes, you think you're great, you're shit. I thought, right, well, you're wrong there, Joe, because I think I'm shit and I am shit, so you're wrong. <laughs> and then he said to another player, something, and then he said to a young lad called Mark Dennis, who went out to play a lot of Premier League games for Southampton, he said to him, and you, he goes, if my kid turns out like you, I'm going to drown it. So <laughs> then Joe sat down and Jim Smith went, Mark, oh, thanks, Joe, I think we need it. Yeah, thanks for that, Joe. I think we all needed that. Thank you, Joe. I feel miles better now. Anyway, then Jim Smith goes, right, he goes, we're playing um, Man United on Saturday. Might have been Liverpool. Playing Man United on Saturday at home. And if any of you CUNTSs don't want to play, stay behind and tell me. Now, of course, that's just rhetoric, and it's not uh, an invitation to chat. But I thought, right, right, you asked for this. So everybody trotted out to train, and I just sat there. They went, what are you doing sat there? I said, well, you know you said if you don't want to play, stay behind. I don't want to play. I never want to play football ever again in my life. And you know what? I thought he was going to go mad, but you know what? He was fantastic. He said, look, he goes, all right, Mick. I weren't bad till I left and went to Blackburn. He goes, Mick, all right, I get it. You're struggling with your confidence. I know it can be difficult. Go and have a few days at home. Have a think about it. Don't be hasty and that like, you know. And then he, he phoned me the week after and he said, look, Mick, oh, I went in or something. He said, look, he said, you're a good player. He said, I know you're struggling with your nerves and all that. Don't chuck the game. Don't pack it in. You know, I was an Indian under 18 international, for God's sake, like, you know. He goes, let's get you on loan somewhere. There's a club called Blackman Rovers, and they've just sold their fullback, Kevin Hurd, to Leeds, and they need a right back on loan. It was March 79. Will you go? 
I didn't, I couldn't be asked. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to play football again. Like, you know, uh, my girlfriend had got me a job lined up at Dino Rod. So here's me, got the most O-levels in the whole grammar school I went to, 800-metre school champion, um, debut at 17 in the Premier League, it weren't called that then, in the Youth International, just wanting to go and work and clean out. I would rather go and clean out people's shit, shit houses than play football. But he persuaded me to go on loan, so I jumped on the train to somewhere called Blackburn. Uh, I got off at what I thought was Blackburn, it turned out to be Preston. The manager picked me up, took me to Blackburn, and it all changed from there. And it was that separation, that 120 miles. And it was interesting because I went up the road. I live right by there now, Cal. I walked up the road to the local pub, and I was by myself a pint. It was a Thursday night, March 79. I was having a pint, um, and a couple of fans came over, and they kind of knew who I was. It had been in the paper, and they were so nice. They didn't shout wanker. They bought me a pint because I... Up here, like, because I dropped down a level, I guess being, having made your debut at 17 in the Premier England Youth International carried a little bit more weight. So when I went into training on my very first day and got called Baz for the first time, I went in, like, higher up the echelon than crawling under the door as a young player at Birmingham City. And I felt that instant kudos, and that gave me a great head start. And I got in the team. I played every game that season and went on to play more every game the next eight years. So it was a combination of being away from home. Yeah, I've dropped down a level. It's easier. There's 15,000, not 40,000 online, you know. But certainly in terms of the perception of the players and me going in at a slightly um, elevated level in terms of my own self-esteem. So that's what happened, mate. And in terms of Blackburn, as I say, nearly a decade as the loan becomes permanent. Again, another legendary manager this time, Hibbert Kendall, um, during your time there for a period of time. Uh, what was Blackburn like overall in terms of highlights and, and what was Hibbert like to work with? Well, it was really funny because I, Howard was one of the guys who sent me down to see Sir Alpha that night, you know, and I had a massive psychological block of Howard and Trevor and Kenny Burns and Peter With and Joe Gallagher, all those players were on my wall. It's so difficult stepping in as the fan to training with them, and I really struggled. So I went down there, played for the rest of that season, did really well, and they bought me for £40,000. Then Howard came in, and I was really worried that all the old fears would come back as Howard came in, but it was fine. We got promotion the first year, and nearly went into the Premier League the year, and after missed out, I think between his third, when only two went up in them days, that would be the 80-81 season, and he was great, Howard. His great strength was his man management, and his even greater strength was the fact that he was still a really good player, probably only 33-34, and he sat in front of the back four in a kind of that diamond role that's now very famous, but was no such thing in them days, and made us really hard to beat. He went to Everton, obviously, did fantastically well. Um, when I went to Everton as a physio in 2002, I saw a lot of Howard, and uh, it was always good to see him, and he would always ask about my wife and her family and that like. And he was an incredible guy, and he had that personal touch, that amazing ability to make you feel like the most important person in the world, and that's a hell of a gift, mate. No, absolutely, and it's a gift that you, you need in football, especially when you think of management. You finish up at Preston and Halifax, you go on to yeah. manage Halifax. How do you reflect on management? Was it something you enjoyed? No, because I didn't want to be the manager. I was I was three years into my degree to be a chartered physio, 
I knew then as being probably the only ex-pro as a child physio, I'd be I'd get really good jobs and that like, you know. But I had to see out them a couple of years while I was studying. So I was at university sort of two afternoons, evenings a week, and at Halifax every day, really, in the mornings. Um, and obviously doing the games for three years. And the team weren't doing great. It got to Christmas 93, was it? Christmas 93. John McGrath, who'd been my manager at Preston, John was sacked, I guess, uh, and I was left holding the baby. I was happy to do so, uh, but it was very much that. And in a funny kind of way, Callum, if ever a manager could have zero pressure, it was me because I didn't ask for the job, didn't want the job. The club were bottom of the league, going bankrupt. Are we even going to get to the end of the season? So I took over in our best, uh, in the most pressure-free situation. And it was okay, There's, but we were bottom of the league. And, you know, I've been in the league since 1911, and now teams go out of the league. So I'm very much there in the frame for managing to achieve what two bloody world wars and the depression couldn't and taking that great club out of the league. So even though there weren't lots of pressure, there was lots of pressure and it was hard. And a couple of times the, the chairman got me in and he said, look, it's not going great. Um, we'll replace you if you want. And I, and I had this chat early on. I thought, just jack it in, say no, walk away. The pressure's gone, but I thought, I'm not doing that. I shit out of Birmingham. That was my hometown club. I'm not doing it. I'm not pulling out again. And I saw it through. And I take great praise and credit. We got to the last game. We lost the last game. I went out of the league. But you know what? If you could be winners and losers at the same time on the same day, that was us. We're selling our best player every month to make ends meet. We had virtually you no know, training facilities. We had the lowest crowds in the league, the lowest budget and that. But we got to the last game of the season. And I take enormous credit from that. And I made sure that those lads came in every day and were treated like I would want to be treated. We trained hard. We worked hard. We played our hearts out. We weren't quite good enough to stay up. But I've seen a lot of those players over the years, like Chris Lachetti was with me at Preston and that like, you know. And he says they were the best days of his life because you came in and you look forward to coming in every day. And my awful experiences at uh, Birmingham City, that made me determined to make sure that when I'm around other people, it will be a good experience as much as I can do that for them. And in terms of the transition from player and manager into sort of becoming a full-time chartered physiotherapist, was the inspiration for that, as you say, the fact that not many ex-players had done it and that you felt there would be opportunities there? Callum, when I used to play, it was five to three. I'd be shaking, shaking in that dressing room, hearing the crowd outside. I look across to the physio. I think you've got a fantastic job. You're here, you're training, you're out on the grass, you're around the players, you're having all the good stuff, but none of the bad shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, and because I've been a player and I was one of the very few ex-players, I did it very differently. There was no white coat and machines. It was outside and on the grass and running and doing the rehab. And I've always been a really good... I've been running today at Salford. I've always been a really good runner. Every every club I've been at, I've been the best runner, even when I was a physio and that. So I could be out running with a player. So I guess I was getting paid for staying in the game on my terms, indulging my, I guess, obsession with being super fit and being paid for it. So it was absolutely magical. I was lucky that I got in at Preston at the right time when Baxter bought them. When I went there, they were bottom of the league. Gary Pearce was a manager. A young player coach called Dave Moyes was emerging. We had seven amazing years. I think we had two promotions and two playoffs. We got to within 90 minutes of the Prem when Bolton beat us at the Millennium Stadium. 
and then me and Dave went to Everton and had eight great years there. It fitted so well being the physio. And as I say, I did the job differently to most other physios who were more clinical and would spend maybe more time in the physio room doing stuff. I did none of that. I put my boots on away. So I got in my first year at Preston as a physio, I played most of the bloody resi games. So I'd go to the resi game. I'd do all the strappings, all the soft tissue stuff. I'd take my bag out, stick it on the halfway line, play the bloody game. <laughs> if anybody got injured, if anybody got injured, I'd run to the side and pick my bag up and treat them and then put my bag back and go back on and finish the game. So they got the bloody money's worth out of me, mate. Them seven years at Preston, I worked 358 days every year. I had seven days off to go on holiday in June. And you know what? I'd have given them seven up to be in a Preston. I loved every minute. It was a magical time. We was getting a new stand built every year. The club were flying upwards. I was there with the emergence of one of the great managers in David Moyes, which is proving now. So it was a magical, you know, I played for the club as well. It was eight miles from my house in Blackburn. It was as magical as magical could ever get. Just on David Moyes, obviously, as you say, one of the definitely one of the great managers of the last sort of twenty years in, in in the Premier League. What what how important is the relationship between physio and manager? Because really, especially now, even in the modern game, when there's maybe a bigger team than there was when you started, that trust has to be there at all times. The, the, the relationship changes. So me and Dave got together in ninety. 90- Five, yeah, 95, I first went there, bottom division, he was assistant manager, so me and him were doing all the kit, lugging all the kit everywhere, out with the lads on a night out, having a good piss up and that, then he becomes a manager, and you step back a yard from your relationship, it's still Dave when you're having a coffee together, but it's the gaffer in front of the players, then you go to Everton, and now I've got a staff, it's not just me doing everything and playing in the reses, it's me and it's Matt and Danny and the Doc and Jimmy who's still there, the masseur, so I've now got a staff of four people, so it steps back, me and Dave are no longer going out drinking with the players and that's Behind closed doors, it's still me and Dave, but in front of the players, it's very much the manager, and it's a different dynamic um, in front of other people. But behind closed doors, over a pint after a good win, it's still a good laugh, and, you know, no holds barred, nothing off limits, laughing and joking. Like, you know, in answer to your question, the relationship is very, very important. Um, If the manager doesn't trust, like, think the physio's got enough energy then it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It has been watered down a little bit now because there's such massive staffs. Uh, so when I was back at Everton last year, I was, I was head of rehab at the academy. But with the first team now, Danny Donick, who's head of medical, is now giving his report via the doctor, probably to the assistant manager who's relaying. How the hell the report gets through verbatim? God knows it's passed through so many people. It was always me and Dave in the meeting every morning just between the two of us like you know so it has changed that dynamic and as you say it's very much a team approach now um it's very interesting because i did a lot of work with the england teams and that and we go away with the young lads and i maybe need to phone their club over an issue and i say to some of the lads from bigger clubs well i'm going to phone your physio now what's his name and they would virtually never know what the guy's name was (laughs) and then ask one of the other lads from one of them big clubs what's his name it's keith or is it kev i'm not sure so I think that's a little bit sad. I would like to think everybody knew my name and still does. So uh, I have seen that side. I've seen that distance grow. Um, and, and I would think that the big clubs, the medical team, uh, 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 it's a pretty se- separate entity to the coaching team. 
Absolutely, and and just from a footballing perspective, um, on Preston and Everton under David Moyes, really success year on year, as you say, 90 minutes away from the Premier League with uh, Preston, getting into the Champions League um, places, of course, um, under David Everton when he goes there, building a club that was struggling for relegation, battles when Walter Smith was there, David comes in and helps move them up the table and, as I say, compete at the top end. What would they yep. like to be involved in firsthand? Because that period is a fond period for Everton fans. It was incredible because I, I, I wanted to stay at Preston because I was seven miles from home. I loved it there. I played there and that. But you have to test yourself. And David had gone. And, and Craig Brown had taken over. Um, uh, I, I love Craig. It was fantastic. So I wasn't bothered about going to Everton or not. And I stayed there, and Dave kept phoning and phoning. Then it all got sorted out, and I went over. And I've got to tell you, I was nervous as hell on my first day because all the lads at Preston had said to me, please don't go, Baz, you'll hate it there. The big hitters are horrible. We've heard in particular, Duncan Ferguson hates physios. I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) But Cal, I've got to go for my future to test myself. I've got to go for my wife and kids because I'm now on double the wages I was. A week ago, so I'm now on virtually six-figure wages. So it's my very first day. It's like I guess it was early August 2002. I drive to the old training ground at Everton. Uh, it's obviously they moved to Finch Farm now, but I drive to Belfield. I'm sat in the car and I'm really nervous. It's a beautiful hot day, but I think to myself, "Do it, go, get out, man up. This is for your wife and kids and that." Anyway, on that day, I had some. Um, denims on and a yellow check shirt and a denim a denim jacket and I walk in and I'm stood nervously in the foyer I then hear a big booming voice that I now know to be big donk saying by the way have you clocked a new physio it's Bob the fucking builder and I could hear loads of people laughing in the door you know like people used to kick that saloon door home in the western the door gets booted open and Don comes up towards me like in his training kit. He comes right to me and he puts his face in my face. He goes, I'm Big Dunk. I've finished a few physios' careers. And I went, oh, I'm bad. I said, I've finished a few players' careers. <laughs> and then he jabs me in the chest. He goes, ah, fucking like that. We're going to be pals, me and you. And I said, that's great because you're going to spend all the time in the medical room out here. <laughs> and we laughed, both of us. But you know what, Cal? I was in. Then Kevin Campbell came out. He was a club captain. He goes, oh, Baz had a lot about it. I was really excited about you coming here. And do you know what? That kind of baptism of fire in the corridor on that hot day in August, I was in, and it was magical. And I remember on my very first day, I went out with the players on the pitch and that, and then everybody had gone home. And then in the old gymnasium at the old training ground at Belfield, I always used to run 10K every day on my own, even when I'd done loads of running outside. I put the radio on in there and I was running. I remember there was only one running machine that they've got about 20 now at Finch Farm. I'm running on the running machine. There's a mirror right in front of me and I'm running, doing my 10K and I can see, obviously, myself and I can see my Everton training gear with MR and the Everton badge and the Nil Satis and that. And I had nearly tears in my eyes, Carl, to think, oh my God, I'm head of the medical department at Everton, bloody football club. I'll never forget that day, mate. And those eight years were absolutely incredible. 
I, I love hearing that because obviously as a massive football fan myself, I'm lucky enough to interview now people like you and, and those that have been involved in the game, which obviously I, I dreamed that that would happen to me one day. Um, yeah. It's important to appreciate those moments and that's something that, again, when we talked about the players and, and how football's changed, there probably are some players now playing at some of the elite league clubs that earn so much money that they maybe don't have those times of reflection to think how lucky they are like you did at Everton there. Cal, I, I look at some of these lads at the academy and they've been there since we were like nine, warming up, drink this, stretch that, measure that, cool down and all that. And I think, God, I look at some of them now at 18, 19, particularly Everton last year when I went back for them three years. And I think, you know, I, I used to say to the coaches sometimes as the lads trooped over to training, I said, you know what? I said between the medical team with the over-medicalisation, the sports science, the coaching, the analysis, the preparation, the sports science, I said, we just about sucked the fucking life out of these lads. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and you know what? There's a great truth in that because when I was at school, so I was at school, at grammar school, I wanted to be a doctor. I got the top marks in the grammar school in Birmingham. So I was really good at rugby. I was a fantastic runner and I was really good at football so I was captain of Birmingham schools and that like you know but my focus was on being a doctor enjoy your sport study hard I want to be a doctor and go to university in them days three percent of people went to university right so that was where I was heading I dreamed of being a footballer but I wasn't at an academy at eight nine ten eleven twelve I played for Villa boys but I only had a loose connection with Aston Villa we just wore their kits so you weren't in the system I wasn't on a conveyor belt at nine that gradually saw no, 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 no. Then there's a hundred on the belt. Then there's 50 on the belt. Then there's 10 on the belt. Then there's only me and my best mate on the belt. Now there's only me at 16 on that belt. I, it wasn't like that. So I'm doing all my sports. I'm loving everything. I can go out and sneak a pint somewhere. And I can go to a nightclub and I can go to the pizza. I can have a girlfriend. You know, I've got to study because I want to be a doctor and that like, you know. And then... In them days, Birmingham was in Warwickshire. I was captain of Warwickshire schools, and we'd have games. And then at 16, the coaches, the scouts, sorry, from Blues and Villa and West Brom and Cov were in the top division in them days. they come to my dad. Uh, Mr. Rathbone, we really like Mike as a player. We really like to come to an apprentice um, in six months' time and join any of them clubs. And uh, much to the um, dismay of the headmaster of my dad, I said, yes, I wanted to go. And I left at 16. So when I walked into Birmingham City from school on my first day in 1975, it was incredible, Cal, because I'd not been sucked to the life sucked out me since I was five years old at an academy. I was in there, and you get in two brand new pairs of Adidas boots, right, put your kit, and I was number 32. I have to clean six pairs of boots, 14, 16, 29, 32, 39, 42. My lottery tickets, I won't fuck all with them tickets, right? <laughs> I had... Um, I, I, I can still remember the players, 14 Peter with 16 Gally Prendy, 29 Ricky Spragley, 32 myself, thir 39 and 42 was Big Dave Latchford, the goalkeeper. I cleaned their boots, we cleaned the dressing room. We'd go outside, the youth team, there was probably 18 of us, nine a year older than me, nine just left school, and we'd warm up and we'd play five aside, we'd do shooting. And then every Wednesday afternoon and Saturday we'd have games against other teams and that. And I thought, this is incredible. It was only getting £16 a week. I'm getting paid to play football. So I had the magic. Now, the second year I got the first, it all turned to shit. But that first year was incredible. 
So people in my generation, and the people even at Salford today are saying, you're always happier than that. And I say, I see football differently to me, it's magic. And I was laughing, we got a few new signings, like, you know, and I was saying, God, can you imagine getting paid to play football? And they look at me like I'm bleeding senile. And I say that every day, getting paid to play football? It's almost in, in, incomprehensible to pay you to play football, like, you know. And I always have, and you know what? A couple of times in my life, I've had reminders of this magic. And funnily enough, at Salford today, Scholes, who was watching, and about six years ago, I worked at Manu for a couple of years as like a kind of mentor to the under-21s in them days. And one day, it was a summer's day, he, he came in, Scholes, he'd watch us train, and Nicky Butt was uh, the assistant coach. So me, Butty, and Scalzi, we got out on the training pitch earlier, um, Carrington. It was a really nice day. And we got in a big triangle about 50 yards apart from each other. And we just knocked balls to each other. And I had a moment of absolute inc incredible clarity of, oh my God, how am I here? How am I here with skulls and butt on this summer's day at Man United just passing balls to each other? And during my career, Cal, I've had loads of them. Once I was away with England and we had a qualifying game in the National Stadium in Yerevan in Armenia against the Republic of Ireland. We won 6-0. Um, and I remember standing there, the National Anthem was going on, and I had that same, how am I here? How has this journey brought me to the National Stadium on a Tuesday afternoon in Yerevan? And I had another similar one. I had three of these. Once we were playing at Arsenal in the Premier League, they've just got to the new stadium. It just snowed that day, and there's only a couple of Premier League games on. We were winning 1-0. Was about 20 minutes gone and there was snow in the air but the sky was blue it was weird and the game stopped for a couple of minutes and I went to the silent with a drink and Moyes was still with me I think Tim Cale Phil Neff come over for a drink next to me was Wenger and I don't know who it was but you know uh, probably uh, what, what's his name Fabregas Fabregas they, they were chatting there and I was in and there was snow coming out of the sky to my right I could hear the Everton fans singing and that like you know I remember looking up at the blue sky and the snow coming down and thinking to myself, fucking hell, how am I here? How am I still here with Wenger and Moyes at Arsenal Stadium, one up for Everton? And so I always have that kind of, um, I don't know, that kind of moments of clarity and to like, almost like time check just where you are and how you are. And I think coming from my background, working class, Birmingham, where football was... It was not countenance, it was your education first and other sports and that. It wasn't the be-all and end-all that it is today. So when you got to them clubs, it was magical, you know, it was uh, a new experience. I have probably have a different aspect on it than people who have been in the system since they were 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and that like, you know. Um, so I, I've got this kind of, dare I say this, innocence to me still this amazing love of playing football like you know even today i've been out at salford today a couple of lads did a lot of running with a couple of lads i joined in them we did some passing then we did some short stuff you know so even today at 63 years of age even today out on the training pitch in salford with the ball at my feet i still feel i still feel that privilege that magic my God, you're 63 you bugger and you're still out with your boots on running passing twisting joking young people keep you young Callum 
And in, in, in on Salford now, just how much are you enjoying that experience? Because you've just mentioned there the experiences of, of today. Is it something that even at 63, you've still got that exact same motivation and enjoyment that you've always had? Confucius said, didn't he, if you love your job, you'll never go to work. And uh, Brian McClay said at Man United, and I've said that all my life. So I've been in today and I've got changed. We had a real good laugh with the players. And I, I did a fitness test on a player before the team meeting. He was fine. Perhaps great news. Then I took two lads out running. I've worked, I'm lucky, I work mainly in the Premier League, a lot in the Championship. I'm not too proud to work for Salford. I'm sat here now with my Salford gear with the lion on. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it here. It's amazing. You drop down the divisions, everything's stripped back. I'm not asking players to thank me for the work I do, but the lower down you go, the players are more grateful because they expect less and they've been given less. So if you give them a little bit more, obviously, whereas in the Premier League, there is so much stuff, they expect all the stuff. And if you provide less than all the stuff, then you're in trouble, like, you know. So there's elements of that. In terms of a couple of questions before I let you go, um, I have to ask you obviously about um, your son Ollie as well. Obviously, came through the system at Manchester United, played numerous games, over 150 games at Rochdale, now playing at Rotherham. How proud are you of his progress? And as a father, are you his biggest critic or his biggest supporter? Biggest supporter? From what I went through as a young player, um, he's done it ever so well. He got released many. I'm not a massive fan of academies. Oliver. All the teams wanted to sign Oliver when he was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. We said, you can't go to the 11. If you want to go to Man U, you can go to Man U, but you have to do the extra qualification at school. Um, so that was when he was 16. But when he was 11 and that, if your schoolwork suffers, you're not going anymore. And then when he went as like a scholar over there, uh, he lived over there. And again, we said, you do the extra qualification. Any problems, anything you struggle, you don't do, you're coming home. Your education's everything. So we always wanted him just to enjoy. I didn't want to have any pressure on him. So I text him every day. I'll text him tomorrow. Capital letters, run and smile. And that's it. I never criticise his game, good or bad. I haven't seen him play many times this season. I believe he's doing fantastically well at Rotherham. I keep seeing these rave reviews about him. I don't care. I want him to be happy. I do care indirectly because if he's playing well, he's happy. If he's playing crap, he's not happy. So it does matter. I want him to be a good lad. He's a good lad. I'm very proud of him. We've tried all we possibly can as parents to make him good, hardworking, give everything in every aspect of his life and let the rest take care of itself. I'll tell you something really interesting. About two months ago, three months, three months ago, me and my wife went to Whitby. I was setting up my website for my second book. and We drove across there for the day. On the way back, we were just coming to Harrogate, and Oliver um, phoned us. Oh, he said, Mom, Dad, he said, I'm in Sheffield. I'm going on radio, Sheffield, BBC Radio. Sheffield been talking about signing up, play, he played about 10 games for Rotherham at the time, like, you know. I said, oh, great. So we were driving back, and it was a real weird kind of juxtaposition that me and his mom were sat in the car driving through Harrogate, and he's live on her phone radio, talking it was really funny because the first question they asked him was uh oh you're doing really well like blah 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 um tell us about your dad i read his first book <laughs> and it was really funny oliver texted me after and said dad this is my time but anyway <laughs> they started talking about you know what's it like having a bit rapidly as your dad and that like you know and it's really interesting because me and my wife have sat listening to that and i've never heard oliver comment about it 
He said, you know what? It's been fantastic growing up. All my mum and dad ever wanted me to do was be happy and do my best. And if that took me to Barcelona, it was okay. And if it took me to the dog and duck, it was okay. It didn't matter as long as I did my best and I treated people well and was a good human being. And it was really emotional for me and my wife to sit there listening to that. And I thought to myself, wow, he got it. He got it. <laughs> and I, he'll be playing tomorrow, I think, and he's played all the games. Of, I want him to play well because it means a lot to him. But I'd rather him be the worst player in the world and the best person than the best player in the world and a prat. And we've always been like that with all our kids. I think again, I think that's incredibly refreshing and, and something that, that that makes me proud. And, and obviously, I, I don't know you personally. I think that's an incredible attitude that you've both got there. And the last main question I've got for you, Mick, is you've obviously talked about your book, The Smell of Football. The Smell of Football Two now, of course, has has been published. Lots of interesting anecdotes there. Highly recommend both of them if you've not read them yet. Um, yeah. What is your What's your view in the modern game and the sort of maybe the smell of football in the here and now? Um, the, the modern game is different. It's changed, hasn't it? I love watching Premier League football. I watch all football. It's a fantastic thing, isn't it? Like you know, uh, I went back to Everton a couple of years ago. It's changed. It's now a money club. They hire and fire the managers, don't they? But that's not really criticism. That's just an observation. All the clubs are the same. Could Everton still be the same Everton it was 20, 30 years ago? You know, when we were at Belfield and doing practical jokes and stuff? Probably not. I think society's changed as well. I still love football, as I say. There's much bigger staffs everywhere now, aren't there? Like, you know, that's probably for the best. But, you you know, you, you lose that great connection. Now, obviously, at Salford, we've got a very tight staff. We all get on really well. We help each other out and that. You know, modern football's modern football. It's hugely thrilling, hugely exciting. Um, I love watching it and that. It's just different, isn't it? Like, you know, I wouldn't criticise it. I, I love it, you know. I'm glad I played in my era when it was much more kind of, I guess, team spirit-centric, wasn't it? There was a lot less money. Well, there was no money, hardly was. Uh, you know, people say to me now, like, do you, know, do you miss not playing in that era where there was a lot more money? And I say, no, because... I balance that against, against the camaraderie in the great times. I played the same team for eight years with virtually the same teammates. And what we had then, the modern players won't have that. Football nowadays isn't like that. You can't recreate that. So what I had was special in that light, you know. And to be fair, people say, to, you know, do you not wish you played now and got more money? But when I worked at Preston, I used to see Tom Finney every day. I think, well, he don't seem to be bothered. He's the greatest player Britain's ever had. He was on a tenner a week. So if he ain't bothered, why should I be bothered? So that's where we are, mate. And in terms of the book, obviously available at um, obviously some of the big publishers, but I know you um, also can sell the books directly because I know you've been doing signed copies I've seen on Twitter as well. Yeah, well, the first book went through a publisher and it was in all the Waterstones and that great experience. But the second book, that's why I call it The Smell of Football 2, I thought, you know what, I'm going to sell this on my own website. It's been an incredible experience. And what I wanted from the second book, I wanted the second book to be really good. I don't want people to say the second book's a shit version of the first book. Uh, so I made it hard back again, same amount of words, same font, same print quality, some pictures in, a really good cover, I think. Uh, and a couple of journalists reviewed it and said, you know what, we're going to say it, it's better than the first book. And that's all I wanted. You can only get the second book on www thesmelloffootball.co.uk sorry www I should know this www dot 
thesmelloffootball2.co.uk. Brilliant, that's incredible. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make 